Good morning. You know, when the email went out earlier this spring from uh, the dean's office, I believe, asking uh, if uh, some of us would preach this semester uh, under the broader heading of calling, uh, some of us responded and forgot to put a text by it. There was a list of texts that we could choose from. And so another email came out uh, a little bit later saying that uh, there are some of you have not responded with the text. And a second later, Dr. Still uh, wrote that I want to preach from Galatians 1. I waited another couple of days, so only three or four texts left by now. Galatians 1, Isaiah 6, Jeremiah 1, and a couple of uh, sections from Acts. So when uh, Dr. Davis didn't feel like he needed to say anything, I wrote back and said, uh, if uh, Dr. Steele will warn us against not being perverted by a false gospel, then uh, Dr. Davis could uh, call us all out or send us all out from Isaiah 6, unless you want us all to curse the day we were born in Jeremiah 1. And then maybe we can have Luke say a little bit uh, about how it all fits, how we avoid, I guess, Galatians 1 and uh, get impassioned by Isaiah 6. We're here because we're called, and you're here because of that, because you've decided that whatever life brings you, you want to face it with a keen sense of biblical understanding and theological depth. We all know that people kind of make their calling visible, and it is related to their personality. Their sense of calling is seen through their abilities, their gifting, their formulations, if you will, and the way they are willing to share all of that with other people. And so life is a constant balancing act. That's why I chose to read these texts from Luke, a constant balancing act between the development of your gifts and insights on the one side and your eagerness to share what you have learned with others on the other side. Seminary life is often characterized by an intense period of intake of new learning, while an active and busy ministry situation seems to require a constant output that leaves very little time for study, thinking, and reflection. I think Luke gives us a prime example of someone, a person in the early church, who had found that balance between insightful reflection and active, impassioned ministry. We know him best through what he has written, actually, and the emphasis that seems to be very clear both in the gospel and in the book of Acts. We know that he was a physician, a medical doctor by education, and that he was one of the most important co-workers, Christian ministers in the early church, and a significant part of Paul's missionary enterprise. Not only that, 
Luke has written more than anyone else in the New Testament, more than the 13 letters of Paul, considerably more, actually, than what we have from Paul's hand. That fact alone should raise our interest in this man. If we follow the argument that Luke may even be the only Gentile at all writing in the whole book of Scripture, that should be even more intriguing. What was it about him? What was it in the early church that gave him this kind of respect, that made him special in this kind of way? There was something, I believe, about the insight that this man had and that he continued to attain. It's something about the way he used his insight for the furthering of the gospel that made him uniquely usable for God's kingdom, the Christian church. Luke's purpose, if you read the two, the two uh, manuscripts together, the gospel and the book of Acts was to give a unified, even a unifying kind of account of the power that is to be found in that message from God that had turned the whole world upside down. Answers were needed. And while Matthew could be somewhat difficult to, to grasp without at least some knowledge of the Jewish Bible, what we call the Old Testament, Luke's gospel is immediately accessible regardless of your background as you come to it. While Mark is is moving from event to event, fast-paced, filled with action in a kind of gospel or sermon outline type fashion, if you will, Luke gives us a continuing kind of narrative that shows us with all evidence the greater lines in God's salvation history. I don't know how much you have thought about the fact that had it not been for the book of Acts, we would not necessarily have seen a direct connection between the Jesus who walked the dusty streets of Galilee and the worldwide church that developed after this. But because of Luke, from a biblical perspective at least, there can be no doubt that the task of the church is to continue the ministry of Jesus here on earth. Maybe I can say it like this just by way of introduction. If you sometime come to a point where you doubt, what is the purpose? What does it mean to be a Christian church? Read the book of Acts. And if you're ever doubting how to understand the depth of what's going on, the many things you read in the book of Acts, read the gospel of Luke. Who is this man? We call him Luke. He's actually only mentioned three times in the New Testament by name. Paul calls him his dear or beloved physician. My co-worker. And when one of the last evening before his execution, he's writing a letter to 
his friend Timothy, he mentions that I have no one here with me except Luke. What we find here is this wonderful picture of two people filled with love for the world in which they have been set to serve, filled with ambition for what God can do through them if they are willing to follow his will regardless, filled with experience from a tumultuous life in very difficult situation on the mission field, if you will, filled with insight into God's word and his will through constant conversation, faithful studies, and unceasing prayers. Side by side, friends, they have fought from town to town. They have both given up lucrative careers in order to follow their Lord and Master. Both were clever, sharp, highly educated, highly gifted. None, none has like those two, impacted the way even you and I, these many years later in a different world, and a different continent, the way we think what it means when we read about Jesus and God's action and work through him. And here they are. Here they are, two friends, sitting just a few days or a few weeks before one of them are going to be executed. One is dictating. The other is writing. I want you to listen to what they're saying here. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And then a little later, like his voice is almost cracking, he said, At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed so that all the Gentiles, might hear it. You can only imagine what these two friends were sharing at that time. In their prayers, these last hours before one of them would be executed, and they sat and said, we need to write more encouragement to these churches to let them know even through Timothy, let us write Timothy. At the last moments of their breath, if you will, they were focused on sharing encouragement and insight through Timothy to these churches. It was not about them. Their worries does not seem to be about their own fate. Their worries were for those who now had to be strong enough to continue the ministry without the encouragement, without the prayers and intercession, without the guidance of these. It's a strange thing, isn't it, with this balance 
insightful understanding of what the gospel is all about, what it means to be a human being and a Christian in this world that's so full of the opposite. I had the weirdest kind of conversation once. Um, can I move? I can sit here. Uh, had the weirdest kind of conversation once with a, uh, a very active churchman, my lead deacon in the church that served overseas. And we're walking along the beach and, and uh, just sharing, talking about this, that, and everything, and, and uh, also about the mission in our churches, the, the, what was going on all over Scandinavia and Northern Europe, and, and just sharing this and that. And I know his son, that he had kind of been, been struggling with this, should I become a full-time minister? Is God calling me for this? And so naturally I asked him about it, and, and his response just about knocked me dead. It just moved me. I, I can't say that. That means something else nowadays. Uh, just blew my mind. Here's what he said. I hope nothing will ever come of this. My son is extraordinarily gifted. He's very clever. He's a top of his class. It would be such a waste if he was just going to use all of that just in ministry. I thought my ears were falling off. I thought my mind was exploding. And it just busted out of me before I could even think. said, what in the world were you thinking? Do you think he should give half of the gifts God had given him to his ministry or a third? What in the world is going on with you? But you see, I think there's a whole lot of people who think that the Lord especially calls those who can't think of anything else to do. That is not so. The example we find with Luke is an example of someone who was at the very front of the line when gifts were handed out, when brain power was handed out, when abilities were handed out. So the question that faces us is, how are we? Surrendering. What about our passion? All the gifts God has given us. Luke was uniquely usable because he gave not half, not most, not his free time, but his all. There's a very strong reference to Luke. At least I think it is to Luke in 2 Corinthians 8. Paul had given or had done this massive collection to the poverty-stricken church in Jerusalem. And he had sent Timothy up to get the money from the church in Corinth. Uh, Titus, I mean, to the church from the church in Corinth. Because he wanted to make sure that everything happened above reproach, that he could never be charged of mishandling the money, he sent another person along with him. We don't really know exactly who that person is. The Bible is silent on that. But history, tradition, ever since origin and on, claims that this likely was Luke. 
If that is so, listen to what is said about him. We're sending along with Titus, the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering. Imagine this. Of all the things that this brother, and if we believe with tradition that this is Luke, that all the things that he could have made himself known for, his mark of recognition, if you will, his, the characteristics that they recognized him for was his service to the gospel. I read this and I shudder before texts like this. I don't know how you feel, but it burns into my heart. What will the heading of my life be? No other name. No name needed to be mentioned even. No specific explanation of background. No list of references that they could call and check out. Here was one about whom it was enough to say, it's that one. You know that one? The one who is praised for his service to the gospel. I shudder before text. It, it, it does something to us when we hear this, when we know that there's a sense of calling on our lives. There's a lot of people about whom it's said that they went their own ways. Others said, about whom it said they, they ran tired. And then there are others like demons about whom it says that they just left for the love of this world. You're the only one who knows what you want to be your mark of character, what characterizes you, the heading that summarizes your focus and your ministry. I know that my dream for Truett and for everyone who studies in this place, myself included, is to be able to say or to recognize it said about us like it was said about this brother. He is the one who is praised in all the churches for his service to the gospel. There's a lot to be said about him and, and uh, a lot of biographical stuff we could add probably to this also. But, but allow me at least for a few minutes also to look at the heart that was beating in this man's chest. When we read what he has written, what do we see? Beyond the fact that he was a fabulous writer, some of the greatest pearls of literary history is found in the book of Luke. Beyond the fact that, that he gives this great narrative of what happened from the birth of Christ through um, the early church history. What do we see? What beats or what makes his heart beat? 
Luke. Friends, some of you will know that from class, but allow me to present it in this way. It is Luke who again and again shows us how the gospel comes to all people. It is in Luke that we hear the angels are singing for the or to the poor angel, uh, to the poor shepherds in the field. It is in Luke that we discover that old people filled with anticipation, people like Anna and Simeon will get to see the Savior before they die. The downcast, the outcast. Here in Luke, the parable of the good Samaritan, that God can use even those that no one else consider worthy of anything. It's in Luke that we find comfort for people who live in the God of their whole life, people like Lazarus who is living off the crumbs of those that are more fortunate. Luke is the one who bathes his gospel in forgiveness. This is where we find the the parable of the lost son of the prodigal, as we say, who had wasted all the chances life had ever given him and even demeaned his own family in the process. And yet, when he repents and comes and asks for forgiveness, the father receives him with open arms. It's in Luke we find the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee in the temple, and it is the tax collector that because of his prayer and regardless of his past, finds forgiveness. It is Luke that mentions the conversation between Jesus and the thieves on the cross, and through that shows us that heaven has room for everyone who confesses Jesus Christ as the Son of God. It is Luke who especially remembers to highlight the significant role the women played in Jesus' ministry and in the early church. Friends, notice his heart. Notice the heart that was beating in this insightful minister's chest. It was a heart that had discovered that that even the least and the least significant of all people had tremendous value in the eyes of God. He was one who had it all. The world was open to him, and he was willing to give it all. He was a doctor, a physician himself, and he knew that there would be no real healing until people got in contact with the great physician, Jesus Christ. When you're presented with this, and you stand face to face with face to face with a person like this who is insight and whose passion and whose activity for the gospel far supersedes what you find with most people. It is only naturally natural to ask how can such 
a level of insight, such a passionate love become mine. And I think we find it in the balance that was struck by Luke. Notice how he opened both his gospel and the book of Acts. Others have written about this. But I've investigated. I've researched it all. As you're out in busy pastorates and busy with ministry, find time for quiet reflection. Grow deep. It is no good to sit in the valley of the dry bones just by claiming depths of thought, but neither is it any good just to sit by the lake of shallow waters. Find the balance. Spent time. Active, passionate, engaged in ministry and quietly searching for truth in God's word, studying, reflecting, conversing. You are here, friends, because you sense God's hand on your shoulder. It's a sense of calling. We're not just preparing for a job. We want to see ourselves line up with those about whom it is said. (laughs) We know them. We know them from their service to the gospel.